My name is Brian, and I'm the lead pastor at Grand Valley Church. We hope that this message helps you explore faith and connect with Jesus. Church Online. My name is Brian. I am glad that you're here with us. Today, our online service is going to be about 25 minutes long. But before we dive into that, I have a question for you. Have you been getting our Sunday morning emails? Because this morning, there was something special in there. Earlier this week, we got to have a small baptism service here at the church. It was just the people getting baptized, their immediate families. And baptism is such a cool declaration of sharing what God is doing in a person's life and how Jesus is transforming and shaping them. And so this morning in the email that I sent out, there was a link to the video of that little service that you can hear their stories and see their baptisms. And even though we're not gathering in person just yet, this is a way that we can celebrate together the declaration that these three people are making in their life. But if you're not getting our emails, I want to ask you to click the link in the description to fill out our online connect card. And if you do that, I will email you that baptism video so that you can see it and celebrate what God is doing in these people's lives. So today we are continuing a series called The Truth is Out There. And we're talking about truth for a couple weeks. We're talking about what is it? How do we find it? How do we figure out what's true and what isn't true? And the reason that we're doing this series is that figuring out what's true and what is not true is getting even more difficult. We live in a world where it seems like truth is hard to grasp sometimes. And so we're diving into this series to help us kind of get our footing and our foundation because I believe the truth is out there. And I believe that when we find truth, it is something that benefits us deeply. And last week, we talked about how Jesus was raising the bar on truth. We looked at the beginnings of the Old Testament covenant and how the rules around speaking the truth really were quite gray and murky and had lots of room for loopholes and exploits. But when Jesus was on the earth and when he was teaching his followers, he was calling his followers to live in a way that our words and our actions do not need any further assurance that we're speaking the truth. He's saying that we should just simply speak the truth. Yes, be yes. No, be no. Yes, I will. No, I won't. But we also talked about how that kind of truth also means we need to be honest about what we don't know and what we can't know. And so if that interests you, I want to encourage you to check out last week's video. But today we're going to continue talking about this because this idea of truth is so important because if we can't live the truth in our own lives, why would anyone listen when we talk about Jesus? And credibility is something that is so hard to build for people to see us as trustworthy. Maybe you know someone in your life who anytime you interacted with them, anytime you talked to them, you just knew what they were speaking was true. They just had that about them and you never had to doubt what they were saying. But it takes a lifetime to build up that level of credibility with people. But credibility can be destroyed in a moment. And so I want to start by talking a little bit about this idea of credibility because something that we often are all guilty of doing is making things a little too simple. Now, simple is good. Simple is good when we're teaching, when we're training. In fact, you know, we really strive hard at Grand Valley to make when we talk about the Bible, when we talk about God, to make it something that is simple and easy to grasp because we know that God wants us to know him and know these things about him. But if we go too far, we can do something that hurts our credibility. In fact, we destroy our credibility 
when we oversimplify and polarize anything that is complex and nuanced. When we try to force everything into little boxes, into right and wrong, good and evil, oftentimes we talk about this in terms of like black and white thinking, that something either has to be this one or this one, and there's no in between. But the truth is our world is way too complex to be divided into neat and tidy categories. In fact, if we try to spend our whole lives forcing everything into neat little categories, we're going to drive ourselves insane because that is not how our world works. Every topic, every issue, every challenge that we face often requires more than what we would get out of simplifying it and polarizing it that far. And so one of the things in this series that we're diving into is understanding that truth exists even in a world like what we live in today and that that truth is accessible. Now, as I was thinking about this idea of trying to divide the world into neat and tidy categories and how this really falls apart, I came across this quote from a Russian author, historian, and political prisoner named Alexander, and I can't pronounce his last name. Alexander, his last name's on the screen. Sorry. But Alexander was a political prisoner, and he spent a number of years in a Soviet gulag, and he wrote this about it afterwards. He said, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. He says, if only our world were so simple that evil people could be all gathered in one group, pushed to the side, and we could do something to take care of them. If only that were true, he says, but but the quote continues. He says, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? See, Alexander understood and he saw this firsthand when he was in this system that was really designed to take anyone who was an enemy of the state and force them away into conscripted labor and try to remove them out of society. He understood that that approach could not work because that line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. In fact, something we all have to come to terms with and recognize is that everyone is capable of both incredible good and causing devastating harm. And so we're faced with this question, what will inform and guide the choices that we make? What will shape which path we choose? And this isn't to say that everything we do is either incredibly good or devastatingly harmful. That's the extremes of the spectrum. But we live our lives in between those two extremes. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. The path we want to take is somewhere in the middle, hopefully leaning towards that incredible good. But we all know that we have issues, that we have sin, that we have problems, that we unintentionally harm people. And so as much as we want to live our lives looking back at everything we've done and said, I've only lived in this incredible good, we all know that isn't true of ourselves. We could try to convince ourselves that everything we've done is incredibly good, but the truth is, it isn't. And so if we want to move ourselves towards that incredible good, if we want to move our lives to focus on that, we have to ask this question, what will inform and guide the choices that we make? Now, if we want to live that kind of truth that Jesus calls us to live, we have to start with pursuing wisdom. Because it's tough to say, well, I'm just going to do good. It's tough to say, I'm just going to be credible. But I think if we start with wisdom, we actually end up 
at credible. We end up at true. We end up at good. Now, before we dive too far into wisdom, I want to start with something to say that wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Knowledge is having information about something, and and our wisdom is often shaped by our knowledge and relies partially on knowledge, but we're going to dive into knowledge next week in this series. There's a few definitions of wisdom, but this is the one that, that makes the most sense to me and hopefully to you as well. Wisdom is situational discernment. It's the ability to make decisions that lead us towards a better path. In fact, wisdom is in each moment when we make a decision, and we make thousands of decisions and choices every single day. Now, many of them are subconscious. Many of them are simple and routine. But there's a lot of times that we make decisions that define the path we're moving on. And wisdom is the situational discernment, the ability to choose the path in front of us. And wisdom is crucial to navigate a world where the answers and the truth is not always clear at first glance. You know, we would like to live in a world where all our choices are simple and clear, those tidy little, tidy and neat little boxes we mentioned earlier. But our world isn't that clear. So how do we get this wisdom? How do we get this wisdom that helps us navigate a world where answers and the truth aren't always clear, where things seem murky, where competing sources of information are trying to to push information at us and try to guide our decisions and shape what we choose? How do we make those choices instead of those choices being forced on us? Now, fortunately, we have a source of wisdom that is always readily available to us. In fact, our scriptures, the Old Testament and New Testament combined, have a lot to say about wisdom. In fact, I think wisdom is one of the main and biggest themes of the Bible. And I've said this before, and maybe you've heard me talk about this next bit of time before, but it's something that is so critical for us to learn, is that the Bible has a purpose. Its purpose is to point us towards God and to lead us into wisdom. It points us to God, to who he is, to what he's done for us, to how he has made a path for us to know him deeply, to know his love, his grace, his favor, his mercy, all the good things that God has for us. But its purpose is also to lead us into wisdom. Because wisdom, again, helps us have that situational knowledge to navigate the world we are in. Now, I want to start in the Old Testament. I want to start by going back to a book called Proverbs. And Proverbs is this book that's written as a collection of wise sayings. In fact, we believe most of it was written by a guy named King Solomon. King Solomon was the third king of Israel after they had entered the land and after the time period of Judges. There was David, or Saul, then David, and then Solomon was the third king. And he was exceptionally wise. In fact, he was likely the wisest man who ever lived and the wealthiest man who ever lived as well. And he wrote many of these sayings that were compiled into the book of Proverbs that is a book that is designed to be used for instruction and teaching. It's the kind of book that a teacher would sit with a group of students and read a passage from and say, all right, now debate. What does this mean? What does this look like? You know, this group take this perspective, this group take this perspective, and let's wrestle it out. Let's find out what this means. And near the end of the book of Proverbs, there's these two verses that are side by side that exemplify how the Bible leads us to wisdom. It says this in Proverbs 26, verse 4. It says, Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools, or you will become as foolish as they are. And then the very next verse says, Be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools, or they will become wise in their own estimation. Now, both of these verses are an example of this 
big theme through the whole book of Proverbs, that there is this way of wisdom and way of foolishness. And if it's not readily apparent, the whole book is trying to lead us down the path of wisdom. But if we look at these two verses that are side by side in Scripture, one after another, it says, don't answer the foolish arguments of fools. And then in the next verse, be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools. So which one is it? Which one are we supposed to follow? Now, this is where wisdom comes in. Because wisdom tells us that both of these are true. They're just true in different circumstances. So don't answer the foolish arguments of fools. You know, that applies a lot today, especially to places like Facebook and social media. We need to sometimes say, stay above the fray and not dive into foolish arguments because they're not going to go anywhere anyways. In fact, it's tough to have conversations through a keyboard. Even a one-on-one text messaging, it's so easy to miss tone and nonverbal communication. It's so easy to miss out someone's intent and assume they're saying something they're not. And so those conversations often devolve into, well, not a great conversation, not a great argument. But then the second part says, be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools, or they will be considered wise in their own sight. Sometimes we have to step in. Sometimes we have to correct and help someone become wise. And so this second verse actually speaks more to shepherding and helping someone else in their journey towards wisdom. Now, wisdom recognizes that these verses are not a contradiction. Wisdom is knowing that each one applies to different circumstances and figuring out which path to take. That in a situation, you would pause and think for a second and say, okay, which one is wisdom going to take me to? Which one of these paths leads towards that incredible good that we're all capable of? Which one of these paths leads us towards showing God's love in this situation? Which one of these paths is the greater good? Wisdom is pausing and figuring that out and discerning in the moment which one to take. Now, I want to take us all the way to near late in the New Testament. And I want to take us to a letter that was written by a guy named James. Now, James was the brother of Jesus because Mary and Joseph had other kids after Jesus was born. And and I can't imagine growing up knowing that your older brother is the Messiah. Like, I I can't imagine what that household would be. and, And the Gospels don't give us any hints or tell us anything about that. But I mean, could you imagine growing up and your older brother's literally the Messiah? I mean, James had, it, had a, uh, you know, tough act to follow, don't you think? But that's beside the point, so let's keep going with this. James appears several times in the New Testament. In fact, after Jesus' death and resurrection, and after the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and the church forms, James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He becomes one of these influential, important guys that is helping shape and give direction and guide the early church. And so he appears a couple times in the book of Acts. And then we know that James was martyred around 62 AD. So about 30-ish years after Jesus' death and resurrection, James gets killed because of his faith. And sometime before that, he wrote a letter. And this letter wasn't written to one specific congregation. In fact, it was written to have many copies of it, and it was probably circulated and sent to as many churches as the messengers could reach to kind of encourage and guide and shape them. And, and at this time period, late 50s, maybe early 60s, it could have been right up to just before when James was killed, he was writing to a church that was facing intense persecution. 
Uh, we're talking, this isn't just a freedom of speech issue. This isn't just, you know, health restrictions. That, that's not persecution at all. James is writing to followers of Jesus who are being publicly beaten and flogged because they believe Jesus is Lord. These are people whose businesses and their livelihoods, their homes, their farms, their land is being forcibly taken from them. They are being exiled out of the cities and villages they're in at times. Sometimes they're even being executed for it. That level of persecution. And James begins his letter to this group of followers that are facing this intense persecution by saying, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So he's saying, as you're facing these circumstances that we can't even imagine today, as you're facing down these impossible situations, if you need wisdom, just ask God and he will give it to you. James is saying that God is the source of the wisdom that is needed. He will give that to you. Remember what we said before about the Bible, that the Bible points us to God and leads us into wisdom. Well, the truth is, God is the source of both. God is the source of our scripture. God is the source of our wisdom. And God will not rebuke us for asking. Now, it would be nice to stop there at just verse 5. Yet the next verse begins with a conjunction. It begins with the word, but. And whenever you see that in scripture, that means that we can't just read the first verse without reading the second, because this second verse is going to clarify and expand something said in the first verse. And so James 1 verse 6 now says this, But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. He says, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Now what James is saying to them is faith does not mean having the right doctrine or the correct beliefs. He's not saying, make sure you understand the Trinity right, or you know, make sure you believe the right thing about communion, or make sure you believe the right thing about baptism. He's not saying that at all. What James is saying is that faith is trust. James is telling the church to keep their trust in God through every circumstance because God is the source of wisdom that we need. These two verses are related. James is telling the church, put your trust in God. You may not know what you're facing. In fact, you don't know what's coming up and things are actually going to get worse before they get better. We have the benefit of history of knowing what happens after this. That about a dozen years after James's death, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed and the persecution the church faces only gets worse and worse. And so James is telling the church, that as they, are about, as they think things are bleak, things are about to get worse. He's saying, keep your trust in God through every circumstance. Because God is the source of wisdom that we need. And that wisdom is what is needed so desperately. See, this is the bottom line. This is what James is getting at. Is our circumstances keep changing. 2020 has taught us that more than ever before. For anyone living in this lifetime but we can still find that wisdom we need. We can still find that source of hope that we need. 
In fact, when we pursue wisdom, we will discover that God is the source of wisdom and truth that we're looking for. So if we're trying to live truth, if we're trying to live in a way that our actions exemplify who God is, exemplify Jesus' love for one another, we're going to need wisdom and we're going to need a lot of it. See, if we want to find truth in this world, wisdom will guide us to it. And so next Sunday, we're going to continue our series called The Truth is Out There. And we're going to be talking about knowledge and decisions and the connection to wisdom and finding the truth and, and how, how that all kind of interacts and relates together. But this week, I just want to encourage you, ask for wisdom. When you're facing a decision, no matter how great or small, Take a moment and pray. Ask God for wisdom. If you can, pause on the decision and spend some time reading Scripture. Spend some time reading in Psalms or reading in Proverbs are great places to start when we're trying to see who God is and what He's calling us to. Take some time and read through the Gospels. Read through Jesus' teachings, the times when Jesus spoke with people directly, telling them exactly what God is calling us to. Because when we ask for wisdom, God will grant it. Thanks for joining us for online service today. See you online next Sunday. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you know of someone that would benefit from hearing the message you just listened to, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with them? And while you're at it, please consider subscribing to be the first to hear when our podcast is updated. If you want to join in on Sundays, our services are streaming online at 11 a.m. Central. To find out more about our church, go to mygrandvalley.ca, and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening.